guys, welcome back to Unleashed. Man, I am so glad you are here. This has been a series that, man, it was born actually during COVID, you know, back in 2020. And you're thinking, what good came out of COVID? I think this is a good thing that came out of COVID. Um, we've been talking about the, the big five man killers. But before we get into man killer number four, which is today's episode, I want to welcome back um, Eric Foley, our producer. And man, it is so good to have you back. How are you feeling? Good. I'm good. It's good to be back, too. You sound like you have a little kind of a cold or allergy thing kind of going on. That's not like something left over from no. this. Nope, totally unrelated. It's good. just a bummer. <laughs> well, man, I'm telling you, it is so good to have you here. You calm me down. You just glad to have you back. Oh, yeah, I appreciate it, man. So what was, let's just talk about that for a second. Like, what was that? It was pretty scary for you. Yeah, it was a gallbladder, but it just, um, it was some complications and they did a second procedure and I was just in a lot of pain and sick and, but yeah, I, I'll be bounced back and. Well, when I, cause I first texted you and then you're like, man, I'm in the hospital emergency surgery. I'm like, what? Yeah. They kept me for four days at, at community North, the big Indianapolis hospital. It's not like a little band aid station. You know, yeah. It's a, that's not like going to that little uh, dock in a box on the corner. Yeah. Four days is a big deal. Right. Yeah, oh, man, I had, you know, and you guys were praying for Eric. I know a lot of you through Facebook and social media were praying for him. And so I appreciate it too, every one of you guys, girls. Well, we got something this week. I got a question or. Yep, we got a question. So uh, Tim from Colorado wrote in. He wants to know, with the holidays approaching, what do you do to give back to the community? Wow. You know, that's something that Stacy, my wife and I have been talking about, you know, because each year we've been looking at like doing like a food kitchen or different things, or we take sometimes food out to the church. They'll do those uh, for those who are in need. And it's just kind of funny you brought that up because we were just this weekend as we were driving, uh, we we'd gotten away to celebrate our, our anniversary. And we were just talking about that. What not only can we do, but even as a family, because it's so important for all of us to be involved so that, you know, kids see what's going on. But I think even personally for me, from my heart, it's something because I'm so busy giving, you know, like I said, I travel and I speak and I'm always, you know, working with, with men through stuff. But I think God is calling me to do something a little bit different. So I don't have an exact answer. It's actually we're in the process of figuring that out right now. Yeah, I think there's a lot of families in your position. And, um, you know, a lot of people want to go and volunteer. Uh, and I always encourage people, you know, the the rest of the year is available, too. It seems like around Thanksgiving and Christmas, yeah, they really want to get in and, you know, to work in the soup kitchen or something. But, you know. You know, I was, I was talking to my doctor the other day. I'd gone in. I've got this thing going on my foot. What's it called? Like plantar fasciitis or something. And as we were in there, I said, you know, I said, I spend so much time, you know, in a, in a vehicle or a plane or in the home creating stuff. And I was talking about, you know, what are things that I can do? Because when you're inside of a room and you're creating all day, after a while, you, you know, your purpose is a part of that because you're going to be going out and sharing those things or, you know, talking to you guys on the podcast, but all the hours of creating and you kind of start to feel almost down because you're not out in the sunlight. And we were talking about this very thing. And he was saying, you know, we call those like the between um, like Christmas and Easter, Thanksgiving and Easter. He says, we have so many people that come in and they want to enter the presence because that's one of the hardest times of the year. And he said, it's actually one of the best times of the year to, to find something to give your time to. Like you were just talking about what's something you guys are going to do. So maybe that's something for you guys too, to think about. You, we know this season is coming up and it can get difficult. And I, I know personally for me, when I have a way of being able to give something to others, I always feel fulfilled. And so, yeah, I think that's, 
That was a great time question, I think, for all of us as we're getting ready for this. Well, let's get into this. This is, oh, man. So we started with, with man killer number one. And if you remember, we talked about the big five man killers. And I had, you know, polled about 400 men to find out what their top five, you know, struggles were out of about 10 or 12 things I'd given them. And number one was lack of purpose, which was a huge shock. I, I didn't even see that one, maybe even being in the top five. I figured it was going to be a lack of respect or, you know, or anger or lust things. But it was actually lack of purpose. Um, we did two weeks on lack of purpose uh, on the podcast. Then we walked into the lack of respect. And then uh, last week we did um, anger. And this week is, is number four. And, you know, episode one with lack of purpose, we, we gave that to the, to the rhinoceros. And if you listen to the podcast, you'll, you'll, cast, you'll understand why we gave them these certain African animals, the big five. Week one was rhinoceros. Week two was a lion. Week three with anger was um, the Cape buffalo. But this week we're going to talk about the elephant in the room. And that's, we gave it to the elephant. Big five man killer number four uh, was lust. And man... I, I know you guys, many of us out there thought this might have even been the number one man killer that, that men struggle with because, you know, it's, it can create shame. And we know that when we have shame, we want to go into hiding, that kind of stuff. But I think it's important that we do talk about this. Um, you know, God made a woman to be beautiful. And so sometimes we get caught up in, in that beauty, but that's not the only place we can lust. We'll touch on that too. I mean, it can be money. It can be hunting, you know, that lust to be out there um, and just spend so much time doing those things and maybe taking that time away from our family. But we gave this to the elephant. And let me just say something about elephants. Um, elephants are really, really spooky, really spooky, scary. I mean, there's, there's no, you know, mammal that's our, 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 our land dwelling animal that is bigger than an elephant, and it's so weird um, how they can just kind of blend in, and you, you almost don't see them sometimes. I'll, I'll talk about that in a minute. But I was sitting around a campfire um, in Africa one night, and the owner of the safari was telling us a story about one of the his big um, big game guides. You know, those are the guys that, that guide the dangerous game, and how he had been charged by an elephant. And the thing about elephants that you need to understand, and you can probably already know this, but the things about elephants, they can be between 10 and 13 feet tall. I mean, think about how high that is. You're talking about the rim of a basket to the top of the backboard, and they can weigh up to 15,000 pounds. I mean, that's double the weight of a Ford F-350. Uh, it's just massive. But when the, when the guide tried to, to run from the elephant as it charged, and if you've maybe seen elephants do this, they'll, when they get something down, they just kind of take their forehead and they just kind of grind it into, into the ground. And this elephant drove the man's body into the ground. And when it stood up, now get this, the guide was attached. And you're thinking, what? Well, he was attached to one of the tucks. But luckily, the, tu the tusk, it actually went underneath this guy's belt loop. It didn't go through his body how that ever, I mean, he had some bruising, but it went under his belt loop. So when the thing stood up, he literally like slid down the tusk and he's hanging off the front of this elephant's face. But the, the elephant just kind of, you know, swung his head, tossed the man aside. And, you know, lucky for this guy, um, you know, he ended up not having life-threatening injuries. But I was saying a minute ago, the elephants, they're not always easy to see, which sounds really weird. I think it's something to do with the way that that, that gray color and the, the African, you know, that it, it just, some of the African bush, some of the places, they can just kind of blend in because the, the height of their backs can be the height of a lot of these smaller trees that you'll see growing over there. And I mean, I've been, I've been close enough to an elephant to hit it with a rock 
and still not seeing it standing almost right in front of me. I know that's crazy, but it's absolutely true. But once once you kind of know what to look for, it's like, you know, as some of you guys who are bow hunters, and when you're sitting in your tree stand and someone is like, how do you how do you spot a deer so quick? Well, it's these these horizontal lines. You know, everything that you're seeing mostly is vertical in the forest unless you have a down tree. And once you've been sitting there long enough, you hunters know what I'm talking about. You can see the shapes of those things that are horizontal versus versus vertical. And those draw your attention first because you know that's not a, a tree standing up. It could be a down tree. But you're, you're looking for those horizontal lines. And so an elephant, you know, here's the one thing that's interesting about elephants. They will, you know, during especially in the dry season when they don't have a lot of rain, um, they have those baobab trees. And, you know, they'll, they'll literally take their tusks and drive them in and get water out of it. But the other thing that an elephant will do is he will uproot a fully grown tree and he'll knock it down so that he can just chew on the leaves or maybe some of the bark or the branches. But what he, what he's not even thinking about is that it can cause that tree, and it usually does, cause that tree to die. And that tree will never bear fruit again. So what the elephant does, I mean, it takes what it wants, and it, you can tell where they've been because it'll leave a trail of destruction in their wake. I mean, you just see you know, these, these paths of, of dead trees and things that are knocked down. But this is kind of why I gave lust to the big five animal, the elephant, because lust is a man killer that will, it will knock a man's beliefs, values, his convictions off track, just like they'll leave a trail of all these trees. And it'll keep him pursuing things that can destroy not only his family, his career, but also it'll rot his mind and his soul. Because when a man lusts, lusts after that, let's say the big promotion, he'll do whatever it takes to achieve the title. You know, when he lusts after a woman, he'll do whatever it takes to, w- to win that woman's attention. You know, when he believes he's not getting what he deserves sexually at home, you know, there's a chance he's going to turn to porn, maybe even affairs. But why? Because that lie that we've talked about since day one of this podcast, when we, we had the one story about the line in the very beginning, we brought it back to our identity. Because the man begins to believe the lie that he thinks of having a better title, you know, having that beautiful woman that wants him, um, you know, maybe even fantasizing about, you know, a woman willingly performing whatever he desires without rejecting him is going to answer his question. And we've talked about this before. Do I have what it takes? And the dangerous thing is that when those things work for him, even though they only actually, you know, might work temporarily, we've talked about, you know, sin has that immediate payoff and then shame sets in. But they work temporarily. It's because they leave men. We leave God out. And we've, we've created this false identity that somehow she sees me through this lens, which makes me more attractive, better, whatever. In Proverbs 14, uh, 14, 12, it says, there's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. You know, these things that a, that a man will run to might satisfy his desires for a moment, but lust in any form, it always leads us to wanting more. And what ends up happening is the man will be, he will actually be tyrannized. I mean, it will, it will stay in his mind like an addiction. It just begins to get a hold of him and it begins to rot him from, from the inside out. He'll continue, he'll, he'll continue to want more and more of what he thinks he has to have, right? And that's going to uproot everything he's worked for and believed to satisfy um, his lustful desires. So let's kind of start walking into this. So then how do we destroy this man killer? Because this is, this is a difficult um, lust is a really difficult thing. I saw a book 
and I can't remember the name of it now, it was a Christian author, but he was talking about, you know, well, you want to get rid of lust, and he says, I created something, and, and I'm not trying to, to knock the author of this book, and I think there is a time for what he said, but what he said was, you know, eye-bouncing. He said, like, let's, let's just say, and he didn't say this, but let's say that you walk up, um, you're in Burger King, right? And you walk in and there's some really beautiful woman standing there. And she's wearing those stretchy pants, whatever the things are they wear now. And you can't help but notice her. But the next thing you know, he's beginning to be infatuated with her. And if he allows that thought to keep going in his mind, the next thing you know, he might start trying to talk to her, flirt with her, try to get eye contact, some smiles, some laughter, because he's trying to find out, you know, is she attracted to me in return? Because that would answer my question, right? You know, do I have what it takes if she finds me attractive? And that is a dangerous, really dangerous uh, game to play. So his eye bouncing um, thing was, would, would have looked like this. Okay, there she is. She's standing right in front of me. Wow, she's really beautiful. Nothing wrong with that so far. But then his thoughts begin to go south, right? They begin to go all these places they shouldn't be going. And so he has to start doing what the eye-bouncing technique was, which means, hey, let's look up there at that uh, Burger King sign. Oh, look, there's the exit sign by the door. Well, there's the door for the bathroom. You know, look, look on the floor. There's, some, there's a straw paper. What he's doing is, is basically behavior modification. He's trying to make his eyes and his mind go everywhere else but where she is. But here's the problem. He knows she's still there. It's that desire to have what he thinks he has to have to be okay with himself that has to change. And the only way that you can do that seriously, and, and is there a time for maybe eye bouncing? Yeah, I think there probably is. I think it's that it's like, you know, if you keep going this direction, you might be getting yourself in some trouble that you need to walk away from. But ultimately, behavior modification might last for a time, but it never, ever gets to the root of the problem. And that's what we have to do. We have to get to the root of the problem. But Men, you know, and there's women that listen to this too. And, and I, I think that men and women both can struggle with this. Um, it might look a little bit different for a, for a woman, the way that you know, they might lust after a man. It could be more about power or confidence or whatever. But what I do know, because being male, I know this, men are visually stimulated. That's the way God made us. So when you think about the curves of a woman, it's, it's not an accident that God made them that way, right? I mean, curves are attractive not only on a woman's body, but think about sports cars. I mean, those, those sleek curved lines are like maybe on a Porsche or a, a Corvette. Um, that was my car. I always loved those. I wish I had one, but I don't. But they're put there not just um, purely for aerodynamics. I mean, they grab our attention. I think those, those curves make some of the most like alluring cars in the world so attractive. I mean, even if the car doesn't do like zero to 60 in three seconds flat, right? Curves are seductive. And it's those curves on a woman's body that when barely covered or covered, like we said, like with a tight, stretchy material, whatever, play on a man's thoughts. We're keeping it honest here, guys, just keeping it honest because you know exactly what I'm talking about. And if men, if we're not in a good place mentally, it can draw us into taking more than that first glance. What does they say? Like the first glance is free, but after that, it's going to cost you something. Yeah. I mean, there's some truth to that, but he doesn't, here's the thing. He doesn't want to just pluck the apple from the tree. The, the sinful side of man is like, no, I want more than that. It is almost like, you know, he wants to, to taste the fruit. I don't know how else to say that. Because now it starts to getting into the, those places in your mind where he wants to experience it with all of the senses. Like we said, things 
put in the right way that God made them for, wonderful. He gave us all these senses. But when a man's mind isn't in the right place, the enemy knows how to get into all those different places in a man's mind and get that man to go somewhere he would never go if he was, if he was thinking straight. But like I said before, you know, he's not just taking the second glance. He's now playing like out in his mind what it would be like, you know, maybe not to just see her body, but to have her, to take her. And again, like I said, we're just keeping it real here. But that man, he's going there because he's in an unhealthy place. So what do we, what do, we do with, with all this? I mean, is it just, you know, do, do Christian men struggle with that? I'm like, seriously, do I even have to ask that? Yeah, we're all made the same way. I was, uh, oh, Eric, where, I'm trying to think. I was speaking up in Minnesota, and it was, it was the month right before COVID hit. And I was speaking to a group of like 300 plus men at this retreat. And it was all men. You know, a lot of them were pastors, but they all, you know, came from church. There was a few unbelievers in the crowd, but most of them, I mean, they were involved in men's groups. So I, I brought up this topic. It, it was always funny to bring this kind of topic up with a bunch of Christian men because they're looking at each other like, can we talk about this? Guys, it's a problem if you can't talk about it. Um, so that's why we're tackling it. But when I asked this question, I said, I go, how many of you struggle like when a good looking woman is wearing like yoga pants? I think that's what they call them. Nearly every single guy in that room raised his hand, except for maybe just a few who I guarantee you were raising their toes inside their shoes. <laughs> they just didn't want someone else to see them you know, like raising their hands. So who in that room, when you think about it, who in that room was more at risk um, you know, was it the men who, you know, quickly raised their hands admitting that they're struggling with this, you know, or was it the ones who they didn't raise their hands because they were worried, you know, basically that their fig leaf was showing, you know, they were afraid of what others were going to think about them if they confessed, you know, that being a temptation, you know, the Bible instructs us to confess our sins, you know, one to another. And that is so important. But what would happen if, you know, it, what would happen to the power of sin? Let's look at it this way. Instead of just confessing, you know, um, our sins, what if we actually confessed our temptations before they, they took root in us? You know, what usually happens is that it breaks the power of the enemy because we haven't been trying to hide our temptation. Because we all know whenever we try to hide something, um, we act out even more because we begin to feel shame. So, you know, that's next week's is going to be on shame. But Let's keep it with lust because it, it really is, it is one of the top man killers. It, it drives that man into shame because he's feeling like, now get this, like he should, being a Christian man, right? That he should be able to control his lustful desires on his own. That's what we call, you know, should statements. Uh, you know, a lot of men leave God out of their struggle for a couple of reasons. One reason is because um, he's getting something out of it. You know, sin feels good. We know that. Um, it's, it's very attractive. But we also know then the consequence of that sin when we make the wrong choice. And the other um, reason is because he feels like he's not good enough if he can't conquer his you know, unhealthy emotions on his own. Um, there you go. If I could just take my sin out into the street and beat it up. Well, we know that we can't do that on our own. You know, the Bible says that our, our faith is like filthy rags. We don't have the ability with that sin management mindset to be able to just go out and beat up our sin. We can't do that. And it's when we start trying to do that and we leave God out of the equation, that's where the enemy wants you to be. Because if you're feeling shame because you were lusting, now you're thinking, well, how is God looking at me right now? And he's trying to go down that avenue. God knows what's already been going through your mind. But when we have someone that we can actually 
hey, I'm struggling with this right now. Do you ever struggle with this? Chances are because you were open and honest and vulnerable with him, you just built trust in that relationship, which is going to lead to both of, you, both of you to be able to talk about some of these really difficult issues because now you have that, that bond with each other. Hey, I got your back. You got mine. It's so important that we can, we can have some place to take those temptations to the process, not, you know, not just our sin. Um, and that's, that's that, you know, that, you know, if he's been taught that to escape the power of lust, he's got to do the sin management, which is just try harder approach. You know, he's, he's going to start believing that he isn't good enough because he's going to discover, I, I can't do this. I'm still struggling with it. So he, thus he feels thus, that was a big word. It's King James. He feels like he's not good enough. So both of those reasons we just talked about, you know, are, are reasons why lust is absolutely so deadly in a man killer because they leave um, their victims full of shame. That was uh, interesting. I was sitting, um, having, I think it was lunch somewhere, maybe in Michigan, I think it was. It's been a few years ago. But I was, I was having lunch with a buddy, and, and he was really, really struggling with looking at women. And, you know, and I kind of knew that about him before. I mean, I'd noticed before he would always, like, be kind of staring at, you know, every time a woman would walk by, he'd kind of be, you know, looking at her. I mean, he wasn't making, you know, very many comments, but I could tell it was something that was catching his eye all the time. So when this, when this hostess came over to take our order, you know, both of us couldn't help noticing that she was extremely attractive. And after pouring our coffee, um, you know, she, uh, she realized we didn't have our menus and she apologized. And so she turned around and left to go grab some. And as she walked away, he leaned out and he stared at her backside and her figure. And he looks at me and raises his eyebrows and he goes, hey, I wonder if she's on the menu. You know, it's, it's one of those, you know, guy things, ha, ha, ha. But I, I wasn't quite sure, you know, because then I started feeling ashamed, you know, for kind of going along with the joke or whatever. I'm like going, man, how do, how do you handle? Because so, when guys get together, you know, sometimes the things that they'll talk about, and it's like punch the guy on the shoulder. We all have those thoughts. Yeah, we do have those thoughts. You can't get around that. But what we choose to do with them, how we talk about them, we absolutely can do something different. You know, because many men, and you've heard women talk about this, they, they view a woman's body as basically a piece of meat, and they'll do whatever it takes to, to have her, um, not just mentally, but even sometimes physically. And that's, that's a really scary place to go. Like we talked about the elephant, right? You know, that elephant will go over to get just maybe one root to chew on with some water. He'll take down a tree that's been growing for 40 years. And then a man, all of a sudden, if he's feeling like his wife, you know, doesn't want to be around him, she's disrespectful or she's not sleeping with him, you know, he'll take a marriage that's been going on for years. And in that one moment of passion, because he's believing lies, he'll go out and, and try to get what he thinks he should have, what he deserves, because then he feels like he's respected. Remember, man killer number two, that lack of respect. But, you know, what this guy was talking about, you know, I'm sure it sounded offensive, and it is. But he was verbalizing what many insecure men think. You know, some men outwardly flirt. You know, they'll stare at a woman to see if they can get her to play along, you know, in an attempt to make themselves feel wanted. But inwardly, their question is, would a woman like that be interested in a man like me? And unfortunately, the truth is, in either case, that the man is, he's, he's struggling with his identity. You know, even the man who's looking at her as an object just to get the chemical rush in his brain from lusting, He's still struggling with his identity, that need to have um, what we feel like we should have, what we deserve. 
So when you go back like to the animal kingdom for a second here, you know, when a predator has enough food in front of him to sustain him, he's, you know, he's focused on what he has. He doesn't have an additional need to seek, you know, additional prey. He has what he needs. So likewise, when a man discovers that all of his needs are already met in Christ, not in his wife, not in some cute thing looking at him, making eye contact or flirting or whatever, he doesn't have to look at a woman now as eye candy to get that dopamine rush. You know, being secure in your, your one true identity is a powerful transformative thing. So it wasn't too long. I think it was on the same trip. I, I think it was actually the next day I was in my hotel room because I was speaking for an event. I get this, this buddy, another guy calls me on the phone. And uh, this, is, this is a funny story. He decided to meet with one of his church elders who was about 90 years old. And he explained to this elder that he was struggling, you know, with really staring at beautiful women. I love this. And the elder's response, rather than being like, you know, shame or, or a, a scriptural prescription to help him with it, he comes back and he says, so what are we going to do about that? In other words, it didn't matter how old he was. He still struggles when he sees a beautiful woman. So you can begin to see this isn't like something that starts like at the age of 13 or something that, that stops by the time you're, you know, you're 50 or whatever. It's a lifelong thing because beauty is a reflection of God. And it's one of those things you can't not notice. But he made the woman's beauty to be a powerful thing and in the right way, in the right time, how we handle it. And how even how, see, how a woman sees how we handle looking at, a, at another beautiful woman walking by lets her know how secure we are in our own identity. And let me tell you guys, women are attracted to a man who is secure in who he really is. You know, sometimes I struggle. You know, if I see like a, like a beautiful man, and I, and I think it was the last episode, yeah, it was anger, that I, that I talked about that, that guy that was like staring my wife up and down and was flirting with her and all that stuff. And, you know, I basically had to, to get him to back off. And that was a good moment because she saw me step up. But if I see some guy that's like, you know, staring at her or whatever, and she sees me like, so is he good looking? Was, were you looking back at him? Those kind of questions, she's like, um, you need to know something. That's not really attractive when you do that. No, I wasn't trying to get him to flirt with me, but I need you to know that you are mine and I need to know that you're not worried about that because that security, that that's, what am I trying to say? That identity that I talk about, I have to walk in it. So let's just kind of move on and we're going to talk about this identity stuff. You know, what do we do? Because until, and no matter what age a man is, until his question's answered about where his true identity comes from, we're going to struggle with lust. So what about, let me think here for a second. What about women? You know, do they, do they struggle with, with lust? And we talked a little bit about how it might look a little bit different, but there are. I mean, the, the percentages of women now that, that look at porn have, have grown tremendously. But I think it's probably for some different reasons. I think there's probably a, uh, a relational issue maybe that they're looking for or, for or for in that because they're not maybe feeling that connection with their husband. But it doesn't matter whether someone is looking at porn for the, the physical um, turn on, I don't know what else to call it, or for that relational one, anything that takes you away from your spouse and divides you, that takes your heart, your mind somewhere else that it's not supposed to be, it's, it's lust. So I, I got a private message one night from this woman. I don't, we'll call her, we'll just call her Tammy. Um, she'd been in town for like uh, maybe a couple of days for a friend's wedding. 
And she'd, she'd been divorced. It hadn't been very long. I think maybe, I don't know, maybe just she got remarried like only a few months after the divorce happened. And she and her new husband had planned to fly home um, the following evening. But she had been away from her, her uh, she spent the night separated from her husband at a friend's house. Uh, they'd had a huge fight the night of her friend's wedding. And she was really struggling with anxiety. She was really having um, severe panic attacks. And so she gets a hold of me. She goes, is there some place, a public place that I could come and sit down with you and I can walk through this stuff because I don't know what to do. You know, I just went through a divorce. Um, and here I am thinking that this, this new man I just got married to is unfaithful and I don't know how to handle this. So I, I, I set up a public place, you know, in the middle of the afternoon. And I said, you know, I'll bring my notebook and different things. And we'll sit across the table from each other where there's a lot of people and, um, Everything, you know, in her new marriage, as she was, you know, telling me about it, it, it sounded really great until this happened. You know, she was constantly um, noticing that he was looking at other women. And, you know, during the dating time, she didn't notice it that much. I think we all know the dating phase. We can all put up a good front, whatever. And after a few drinks at their wedding reception, he began staring at almost every single woman, including her best friend, who was the maid of honor. But not just looking at women, but, I mean, staring at them up and down. So before the, before the server could even, you know, set the glass of water on the table, she began, like, railing at her husband. I can't believe this, you know. I got divorced because my ex-husband never paid attention to me, and now my new husband can't keep his eyes off other women. And, you know, he gets his jollies from gawking at other women and not from me. And then she's like, I am so done with men. They are just pigs. You know, if you're a guy and you're hearing that, man, you hate hearing that because you know inside you, you love your wife, hopefully you love your wife. But when that temptation to look at a beautiful woman comes up, you don't want to be looked at as you're a pig. You're looking at it as, yes, I can't help but notice it because God created me to notice beauty. But at the same time, we know that temptation to take that second look. And we don't want to think that we're a pig. And the enemy wants you to think again, let me say this, that you are a pig because now your identity is coming from your behaviors, not from Christ being in you. So you can begin to see how even name calling or labeling can begin to take us off center to create a place where we forget who we really are. Because when I'm secure in my identity, there's no reason for me to be looking at another woman, taking that second look. Because I know that she will, she will do nothing for me as far as adding to my worth and value. It's only going to create problems. So she was, you know, she was going on for a long time. She was just railing on him. And so finally, I kind of waited for her to come up for, for air. And I just, I took out my notebook and my pen and I began to write down a few notes. So whenever I meet with someone, I, I typically write down the emotions that I'm hearing as they're just dumping, right? As they're just processing, just getting it all out there. Because in those first instances, was instances when they know that they can say anything to you because it's going to stay there. You're there to help. It all comes out. So when I'm writing down those emotions, I'm writing them down because I know that those are coming from whatever you know, that person is thinking. And those thoughts are stemming from what they, they really do believe to be true. So as she continued, I'm writing down these emotions and I wrote down, I think it was anger and fear. I think there was rage, uh, doubt. She was worried. So there was another one worried. Insecurities. She was feeling lonely. And then she felt betrayed. I think that's pretty good um, snapshot of it. So, you know, after we'll call her Tammy again, after she finally like closed the, the pressure release valve and kind of slowed spearing all this unhealthiness for everyone in earshot to hear, I finally spoke up and I said, uh, 
and I, and I, and I, I say this a lot. I say, first of all, I want you to know how sorry I am, you know, that you've had to endure, you know, whether it was, you know, rejection or whatever she was struggling with. I said, that has to be incredibly hard. And I'm sure there's triggers that probably go all the way back to your childhood. That's why you feel it so deeply now. And I said, but I always want you to know that I'm also sorry that your husband has been buying into the lies of the enemy that he needs to look at women to make him feel better. You know, it's, it was obvious you know, that he was probably addicted to the chemical wash that his brain was getting from lusting. But I no sooner got that last sentence out of my mouth and she just opened up again. And I mean, here came that pressure release valve full force, but this time her tone, like it went up like tenfold. And uh, this is when it really revealed the source of what she was uh, fearing and hurting. She looked at me and she goes, you're sorry that he's bought into the lies causing him to look at other women? She goes, what about me? I'm the only one who's not good enough here. She says, if I was, if I was good enough, he'd only be looking at me. And honestly, I'm starting to enjoy it when other men stare at me. Hmm. She said, at least it makes me feel like there's someone out there that who wants me. And then as she got that sentence out, I mean, she went silent. She sat there and it was like those words were like lingering in the air, almost like, like a heavy fog. I mean, she was so adamant in this conversation that she wasn't the one struggling with jealousy, you know, that she was secure in her own identity. You know, she kept telling me this is his problem over and over again. And she was absolutely correct that he did have a problem. But man, the veil was pulled back. And I think maybe for the first time, she saw she was struggling with, with the same issue. She was getting her worth and value from whether her husband gave her attention and happiness that she believed that she deserved. You know, it had been the story with her previous husband, and now she was wanting other men, other men to pay attention to her so that she could feel better about herself. So what was really happening? She was lust, lusting after their lust. She needed them to be lusting after her to make her feel like she was good enough. You know, when I asked her what she would do whenever she saw her husband looking at other women, you know, she'd say that, you know, she'd let him know how angry she was by degrading and emasculating him in front of others. Shame. You know, she admitted that she had hoped that embarrassing him would change his behavior. So then I asked her how that was working for her, and she responded, you know, no, it doesn't. She goes, it only makes things worse. And then she goes, and then I'm the one left, you know, feeling embarrassed and insecure. So I finally asked her, I said, Tammy, I said, uh, what would happen if you, if you didn't connect your worth and value and attribute your happiness to your husband? Hmm. What would happen if you didn't need him or other men looking at you in order to feel good enough? You know, before she could like filter her response, she just kind of blurted it out. She'd say, well, I'm sure I'd be a lot happier and maybe actually love myself for the first time. You know, when I heard that, I immediately asked, so what I hear you saying is that you'd be a lot happier if you weren't so codependent. Now, you have to be careful when you start putting things out there. You have to make sure you have listened well. We talked about that um, in one of our other episodes when we unpacked Guide uh, last week. You know, getting some truth, you know, understanding before being understood, asking questions, then discussing your feelings, and then, you know, adding encouragement. But, but I asked her, I said, so what you're saying is you'd be a lot happier if you weren't codependent. And I mean, she looked like a deer in the headlights, just sitting there dazed. Tammy, and I said, what if your core, at your core, you really believed that you were already good enough, 
that your worth didn't have to come from other men. You know, what if you're good enough came from the righteousness of Christ that is in you because she was a believer and not from whether you felt your husband was physically attracted to you? Because here's the thing. We are all aging. We're never going to look like that, you know, that 18-year-old or that, you know, that man that's starting to gray and he's got that distinguished look. There's going to come a time when our skin sags. We, we lose hair. We, we just don't. We're losing teeth, right? I mean, we're never going to be able to keep that, that facade up. I mean, with plastic surgery, we see people trying all the time. But what if we didn't have to have plastic surgery to be okay with ourselves? What if we truly believe that, you know, we don't need to throw a fit to try to make him feel, you know, worse about himself. You know, how might that relationship begin to change? Tammy, you know, she began slowly nodding her head as she was having those aha moments. And she kind of laughed and she said, you know, I might just go stand in front of him when he's looking at another woman and say, hey, babe, why would you be looking at a hamburger when you can have prime rib? <laughs> and I said, exactly. I said, confidence. It is extremely attractive. So, you know, I came back and I said, Tammy, I said, you know what, you're wanting your husband to, to, to fill your needs, you know, in a similar way to how he looks at other women, you know, um, you're, you're wanting the same thing. You know, whenever we, we attempt to get our good enough from anything or anyone other than God, it's idolatry. Wow. That's kind of a wake up call. I mean, think about that. So in that moment, we are lusting for more worth and value and thus committing adultery against Jesus Christ because he gave his life to give us our good enough. And we're giving that kind of power to someone else to make us feel like we're good enough. That's a really powerful thought when you think about, you know, whenever I, I, I am choosing something other than God to try to, to make myself feel better, I'm, I'm committing adultery against Jesus Christ. I'm lusting after the very thing that will not bring me life, but bring me death. Tammy's face began to change. You know, she knew her own unhealthiness had been exposed, but somehow, you know, it was, it was okay because it, it helped her release that anger and judgment that was against her husband. So I asked her, I said, let me ask you this question. I said, um, who is the only one you can fix? And I think most of you know the answer to that. You know, she responded with myself. So whenever we attempt to keep another person's side of the street clean, now, let me say this. I'm going to say this really slow. Whenever we attempt to keep another person's side of the street clean, our side of the street starts looking like a garbage dump. Our job is to keep our side of the street clean. So as I'm bringing this you know, down to a close, I want, to, I want to read this verse to you from 1 Peter 4, 1 and 2. This is out of the message uh, paraphrase. It says, since Jesus went through everything you're going through and more, learn to think like him. Think of your sufferings as a weaning away from the old sinful habit of always expecting to get your own way. Then you'll be able to live out your days free to pursue what God wants instead of being tyrannized, remember that word tyrannized, by what you want. You know, the other person may never change their behaviors, but you're not responsible for that. You know, there's a good chance that as you become healthier, that your lust for attention will decrease and there's probably will as well, but there is no guarantee. But the good news is you're going to be okay. Why? Because you no longer need to carry their unhealthiness on your back. 
I love that passage out of Romans 14, 4. If there's corrections to be made or manners to be learned, God can handle that without your help. And no matter what happens, you're going to be okay because your identity is fully 100% in Jesus Christ. You know, that conversation with Tammy ended in a powerful note because the elephant in the room, lust, had just been destroyed. How? Through identity. Because identity in Christ is a lust killer. Thanks for joining us, guys. We will see you next time.